Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy is committed to offering high-quality, evidence-based education, training, workshops, and consultation for mental health professionals. I am Juniper Owens, the Academy Director, and your host for today's conversation. Welcome, Juniper Owens here, Director and Lead Faculty at the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. I recently sat down with Dr. Amanda O'Brien and we had a conversation about her experience as a meditation teacher, her personal path in recovery, and what a commitment to awareness and empowered recovery means to her and informs her work as a life coach. Amanda also shares a powerful guided practice for self-affirmation, so stay tuned. Before we get to the conversation, I want to share with you a unique offering just for our listeners and colleagues. The Academy is launching our featured course called Three Core Integrative Certification. If you are a mental health professional interested in becoming more competent in integrative modalities and treatment, we invite you to learn more about this unique certification program. After successfully building an integrative mental health group practice with now four locations, my business partner, Nicole Sartini Seprek and I decided to help other mental health professionals get started as an integrative practitioner. We have spent years of fine tuning our model through trial and error, laborious research, attending trainings and conferences, as well as analyzing positive longitudinal client results. So you don't have to. The three cores of integrative practice for mental health professionals stands for movement, mindfulness, and nutrition, which are the top three most evidence-based integrative modalities that you can incorporate within your scope of practice. In this certification training, you will become well-versed in how nutrition, movement, and mindfulness can help improve client outcomes, and in turn, improving your experience as a mental health provider. As an adjunct faculty, I designed the course similar to other online courses I have designed at the graduate level of study. The course is evidence-based and offers a multimedia learning experience to enhance the quality of education you will receive. Here at the Academy, we also believe that personal development is just as important as professional development. At the end of each module, we offer guided practices for your own self-care and that you can also use with clients. The course comes complete with assessment and evaluation tools, handouts for your clients, and recommendations based on current evidence in the top practitioners in the field. If you are interested in learning more, please check out www.academyimh.com. To celebrate the launch of this course, we are offering our listeners $100 off the course for the next three months. Please use the code Integrative Conversations to receive your discount. Again, we're offering our listeners $100 off the course for the next three months using the code Integrative Conversations. Now, let's dive in to a commitment to awareness through empowered recovery with Dr. Amanda O'Brien. Today, we are having a conversation with Amanda O'Brien. 
we'll be, we will be discussing empowered recovery, meditation, and much more. Amanda will also be guiding us in a practice to increase self-esteem, so stay tuned. Amanda is a certified wellness coach and holds a PhD in experimental psychology. Amanda is trained in several meditation modalities, include, including mindfulness, koru, vipassana, guided visualization, and mantra. You can find her work at amandaobrienwellness.com. And I'm so excited that you're joining us today, and I can't wait to hear more about Empowered Recovery and everything else that you've been working on and doing and experiencing in your own life. Welcome, Amanda. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So um, on your website, you talk about using an alternative path to recovery and that 12-step programs were just not a fit for you. Can you talk more about your personal recovery journey and what a commitment to awareness is to you? Sure. So I don't want to spend too much time honestly talking about like why 12-step programs were not a fit for me um, because uh, I don't necessarily think that that is important. So some people, you know, um, right now are, are coming out against 12 step and, and I, you know, I don't want to give the impression that I'm against it, but it's just that, um, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a good fit. And I know that there's a lot of folks, um, especially people that I work with who kind of feel the same way. Like there's just something, you know, that's, that, that not quite, doesn't quite fit for them. It just doesn't quite feel right. And, um, so my own path to recovery began year, a few years ago. So I'm, I'm about, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up on my two year sobriety date uh, at the end of this month. And, um, but I would say my, my path to recovery actually started years prior to that. And um, that's part of, I think that's part of one of the differences between the way that I view recovery and maybe 12 step programs view recovery, because they really are very uh, linear. You know, they're like day one, you drop, you know, you drop whatever it is that you're addicted to. And then it's, you're counting the days from that point on. Um, and if you slip up, if you relapse, then you're back to day one. And I personally find that really disempowering. It's very disappointing when you kind of, fall off the wagon. And I realized that, you know, really my journey to recovery started years before I actually got sober. You know, I started just exploring my relationship with alcohol, you know, really wondering like, why, you know, why was I drawn to this? And I remember even setting, you know, a, uh, a wish or a goal or an intention of saying, you know, I don't want to necessarily quit drinking. I want to no longer desire it. I want to live a life that I don't need. I don't feel like I need it. You know, I want my life to be so, so fulfilling that I, that I don't feel like I actually need the alcohol. So, um, I would say it probably started when I actually started my meditation practice and that was the catalyst for me. And I always say meditation is really like, uh, it's such an, it's such an incredibly important tool and it really forms the foundation of all the work that I do. 
Um, so uh, I started meditation as so I was a I was a psychology instructor, and um, I I uh, started getting interested in it because of the the applications that it has in therapy. Right. So, um, you know, we have mindfulness based stress reduction. We have these, you know, um, different interventions that include mindfulness. And so I thought it'd be interesting to get trained and, and, you know, learn about that so that I could teach it. And the more that I learned about it, um, the more I just realized, you know, that it was benefiting me. I think initially I had kind of thought of it more academically that I was just going to learn about it so that I could you know, understand it better. And then I started to notice it had a pretty deep, very, very um, life-changing, you know, effect on me the more that I did it. Um, and then all of that kind of culminated when I went to a seven-day silent retreat. Um, and I had some major breakthroughs in breaking down, I like to say, you know, conditioning or programming that we have. So when we're growing up, we have a lot of things are put on us by our family or our society, our community, um, uh, that tell us who we are and how we have to be in the world. And for some reason, you know, taking that time to go on that silent retreat and really going deeply inward, I was able to break through a lot of that conditioning and see it for what it was, that it wasn't actually me. You know, these stories, these myths that I had about myself were, were not mine. And these thoughts that I was having, they, they weren't mine. And so um, that's kind of the idea of the commitment to awareness. Um, that's where the whole idea of that comes from is, is because um, we, you know, the work that I do, the work that I've been doing on myself is really about uncovering all of that. You know, what's me what's truly me and what is, you know, just has been put on me by my family or by society or, you know, by, by whatever systems are in place, you know, to, to keep me living a certain way. So awareness to me is just, you know, becoming aware of all of the illusions that I hold, you know, and, and, and we can, we can go all over the place with that, but just, that's essentially what it is. So this commitment, I'm committing myself to a path of like uncovering, you know, all of this stuff and, and really diving deep into who I actually am. Um, and, uh, yeah, so how, <laughs> so yeah, where can we go from there? I guess. Oh, well, exactly. Mm -hmm. I actually do want to dive in just a little bit to something that you said that I think will really give a lot of insight into, um, your path, because I really like that you said path and that's not linear and that mm -hmm. um, maybe more like, what'd you say, like a spiral or something like that? I think you've mentioned yeah. that before in our conversations. Yeah. Um, but you said something about that you uncovered um, the conditioning and programming and illusions. And I'm just curious of how that related to sobriety and your relationship with chemicals or substances. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm just speaking from my own experience because a lot of people use substances for all sorts of different reasons. Um, but for me, the main reason why I was using was because I had a really hard time connecting with people. So I had a lot of social anxiety and the reason for that goes way back to like just being rejected by, you know, my community 
I grew up in a small southern town. It was extremely conservative, very um, unforgiving, very judgmental of anybody that was different. And um, yeah, so I had I had a lot of negative experiences with that. And and then I kind of developed this armor where I was like, I don't really need anybody. You know, I don't really need to connect with people, but that, you know, I mean, that's not really a good way to live. And so I discovered when I drank that suddenly I was able to just drop all of that, you know, to just drop all of this like story about that I had was having in my head of being a fear of judgment, you know, other people's judgment. So I was able to say whatever I wanted to say and act however I wanted to act. Unfortunately, because I was not practiced at doing that, because in my day-to-day life, my normal life, I was holding so much in that when I drank, I got real sloppy and I would say things that I shouldn't have said and I would do things that I, I really probably regret. And, you know, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was all kind of fake in and of itself. So that's, that's the thing about when we have that connection and that vulnerability when we're drunk, um, it's not real vulnerability, you know? And the next day you're like, oh no, like I just totally screwed up. I, you know, said things I shouldn't have said or did things I shouldn't have done. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to think what was the question. Oh, so just that, that idea of like the conditioning. So I, I really see this idea of, um, it's not safe to be vulnerable. You're going to, you're going to get hurt. You know, if you, if you're vulnerable, if you like truly open yourself up to somebody, you're going to be rejected. Right. That's the conditioning that I had. So that was the story that I was carrying that I honestly didn't even know I was carrying, you know, when I was younger and I started drinking, I didn't realize that that was the story that I had, but it was deeply, deeply held. And maybe even so deep that it was, you know, this idea of like, I was going to die if I opened myself up to somebody, like it was so serious, you know, that I was so scared of really opening myself up. So, um, yeah, so that's how, that's how I think substances played out for me in that sense is that, that, that level of, of connection. And there's a really good book actually called lost connections by Johan Hari. And he talks about that. He says the opposite of addiction is connection. And there's a, he gives a lot of great kind of research and, and background around that. But I really feel that. And I, and I do feel that like probably a lot of people can relate to that as far as need, you know, why they use substances. And, but it, again, like I said, I mean, there's, there's definitely, I, I wouldn't say that that's the only reason, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense with the commitment to awareness because your journey started years before where you just started paying attention when you were meditating. Oh, okay. So what's happening when I'm drinking? And then it sounds like you found that there was a need that you were trying to meet and it wasn't being met for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious of what, how recovery in this way has empowered you to meet that need of connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, I think that that's where the empowerment piece comes in is that when you can do something like, so, I mean, let's just take a, we'll take a silly example, like dancing in public, right? So a lot of people love to go to the clubs, go to, love to go out dancing, but they don't feel like they can dance without alcohol, right? Like they need that social lubricant. They need that like thing that'll loosen them up so that they can dance. 
Like, why is that? You know, it's because we're afraid people are going to judge us. We're somehow afraid, you know, of, of letting loose um, without those training wheels, without those, you know, that, that substance. And so I feel like the training wheels is a good, is a good metaphor, right? So if you can only ever dance with the alcohol, you, uh, you know, you, you're really reliant and dependent on this substance. But if you can go out sober and let loose and like really be free to dance and be whoever you want to be, that's incredibly empowering. It's really because you, you don't need anything. You're not reliant on anything. You're not dependent on anything. Um, you can, you, you know who you are. And the, the other thing is that you're never going to reach that point. I don't think of going, taking it too far, you know, of like going beyond what you're comfortable with the next day so that you're not going to wake up and be like, Oh my God, what did I do? If you're sober, you, you, you get to a point where you're comfortable or you're not comfortable. And then you, you honor, you're like honoring your boundaries, you know? Um, but, but it's, it's not easy, you know, I mean, it's not easy to be vulnerable like that. It's not easy to, to show your heart in that way to people. And no matter what it is, you know, maybe it's not dance, maybe it's something else, but you know, it's, it, it's a scary thing. And we all, I think growing up in all different ways have been taught, you know, that you're, you're not okay for whatever reason, you know, you're not rich enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not thin enough, you're not uh, funny enough, you're not smart enough, like whatever it is, we've all been taught we're not enough something. And so we all have, I think, inside of us, some kind of story, some kind of conditioning that tells us we're, we're not enough, right? And so, um, again, it's just, it's the thing that's keeping us from truly connecting. Mm. That's, that's powerful. And in my therapy practice, personal practice, like my clinical practice, I would say that like 98% of I, I maybe issues or do come around connection and also vulnerability and connection. So not just connecting with others, but connecting with the authentic self. And I think you mentioned that, that you, you know, really are trying to uncover those truths of the authentic self. I'm hearing that. And so if, if someone was, you, you've used this term before, I've heard you say sober curious. Mm-hmm. So if someone's sober curious and they're really resonating with this um, awareness and empowered piece of it, what would it look like for them? Or what would you suggest or um, what would the empowered recovery path be like mm-hmm. for them? I yeah. know. <laughs> I, and, and see, this is another reason why I kind of feel like the AA uh, track or the 12-step track isn't for everyone because it doesn't really allow space for that sober curious person. You know, it doesn't, it, it's like either you you're on it or you're not either you're sober or you're not, you know? And, um, there's a lot of people who just want to explore their relationship with a substance and it might be alcohol. It might be pot. It might be something else. You know, it might be food. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, that we use to buffer us between us and, and the world, you know? Um, and uh, exploring your relationship with that does not necessarily have to look like abstinence. It could be, it could be just, I'm going to, here, here's, here's one thing I would encourage people to try. 
So uh, you're going to sit down and make a list of all the situations where you feel like you need this substance, right? So a lot of people would be like, I can't even imagine going on vacation without drinking. Like, let's say, you know, I can't imagine going to the beach and not having a margarita. I can't imagine, you know, going to a wedding and not having alcohol, right? So just, I want, I guess I would encourage people to sit down and make a list of the things that, the situations, and it might even just be like coming home from work in the evening after a stressful day, you know, I can't imagine doing that and not having that glass of wine or whatever. Um, then, then you're going to kind of sit with that for a minute and just ask yourself why, you know, why do I feel like I can't go to a wedding without drinking, you know, why is that? And, and what do I, you know, what, is there something that I'm afraid of? Is there something that, you know, in there, do I actually not enjoy weddings? You know, that was something I discovered was that when I started asking myself, like, well, why do I not want to go to this party if I can't drink? It was like, oh, cause I don't actually want to go to the party, you know, because I'm not actually, a super outgoing person and I get pretty stressed out by being in, in groups like big groups of people. Um, so, you know, you might discover something like there and then I would encourage you to just try it. Right. So just try whatever this thing is, um, give it a shot and try to do it sober. So you, this is different from saying like go 100 days without drinking or go 30 days without drinking like what I'm encouraging people to do is to get yourself into an uncomfortable situation and then be, sit with it, you know, and be in it and, and watch, watch what happens. Go into it knowing that you're going to be uncomfortable. First of all, you know, don't have any expectations, but know that like, this is probably not going to be a super fun experience. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, you know, but, but you kind of have to have to understand that this might be uncomfortable. And then just kind of sit with that and, and notice at, throughout the evening or throughout the experience, like what is coming up for you right now? Are you, are you feeling like awkward? Are you feeling bored? You know, are you feeling tired and you feel like you can't leave? Do you feel like super obligated to everyone here? Do you feel like you have to make everyone laugh? Like, what is it exactly that's, that's coming up, you know, in this situation? And so that, that's what I would say. If you're sober curious, you know, try that, like put yourself into a situation, um, where you're a little bit uncomfortable and just really pay attention to what's coming up, really make that commitment that, um, you know, this evening or this situation, I'm really going to just go into it curious and I'm really going to just see what happens. Um, yeah. I think that's really helpful and what's it's seemingly and deceptively seems maybe easy or simple, but um, I can only imagine if it's a situation where you've identified that it's, I could never, and then mm -hmm. to put yourself in that situation, my guess is that, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what comes up. And so you're saying be curious and just notice mm -hmm. and pay attention. And, and I really like that you made a, um, I guess highlighted sober curious because that's actually something that I personally haven't been trained on or when, when we took our addictions trainings in school or at least in my program, it, we didn't, that word was not even mentioned. And um, I do think that you're right that it might from, from my perspective, 
turn, turn people away from paying attention to it. If I'm not going to quit all the way, I'm just mm-hmm. not going to pay attention or notice. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Is that something that you've come up with or is that like out there? Sober curious? Um, no. Yeah. So I didn't come up with that term for sure. Sober curious is like a movement that's happening. And I don't know exactly. I don't know if there's a one person who's responsible for the term. I know Ruby Warrington wrote a book called sober curious. So she might be the one <laughs> that, that like owns it, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an idea that they also call it gray area drinkers. So um, there's a gray area, like uh, a lot of times, again, you know, people think, well, either I'm a drunk or I'm stone cold sober, right? There's no gray area. And um, yeah, so it's like, am I, if I'm not an addict and I don't have a rock bottom, then I don't have a problem. And I also don't necessarily fit into any kind of mold or model of like what an addict looks like. Um, But I would argue that just, you know, if we're using anything, anything at all to check out, to not feel our feelings, to not be aware, you know, um, it could be, it could be TV, it could be food, it could be anything. I mean, it can even be healthy things. You know, we can like, Uh, maybe running. It could be, I mean, meditation can even be used to check out, you know, I mean, we can, we can use a lot of stuff to get us, you know, to where we just don't feel our feelings. And um, yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily say that you're an addict either. You know, I think, I think addiction is, I've written about this. It's I, I sort of see addiction as a spectrum of, feeling all the feelings and on the other end of the spectrum is feeling no feelings. <laughs> right. So where does your, uh, you know, where does your use, your substance use or, or whatever it is that you're using fall on that spectrum? You know, maybe you're using, uh, Netflix every night to check out, you know, that might be somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. Blacking out with alcohol is probably like near the end of the spectrum of like not feeling any of the feelings. Right. So, um, yeah, I like, I like to think of it that way because for me, when I was, when I was struggling with alcohol, uh, I thought that moderation was going to be like the golden ticket. I really thought I was like, if I can just learn how to moderate my drinking, I will be like, just like everybody else, I'll be normal, you know? And I was thinking of it as a spectrum of sober and, you know, rock bottom, that was the spectrum I was envisioning. And I was like, moderation is in the middle. So I should be there. But when I started to think of the spectrum as a spectrum of feeling, and on the one end is all the feelings and on the other end is no feelings, that started to make more sense to me because moderation uh, means something different on that spectrum. So moderation might actually look like no alcohol at all. And it's, it's interesting because like we wouldn't tell a heroin addict to moderate you know, and be like, well, you can just use it sometimes. We'd be like, no, you don't need to use it at all. Right. And so, but we give alcohol this, this pass and we're like, well, no, you should be able to moderate. And if you can't, there's something wrong with you, you know? And that's, that's, I think that's really problematic too, because why in the world our brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. If it's getting addicted to an addictive substance, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. You know, there's not something broken or wrong about your brain if you're addicted to something. Um, 
you know, we all know about like the dopamine system and everything. And, and that's, that's not your fault that your brain loves dopamine, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I think I'm getting kind of off the, off the topic here. Well, I think it's right on topic because that, <laughs> that to me also fits in with this empowered, empowering approach because so often, um, I hear statements like, yeah, there, I'm a disease, there's a disease and, and you know, there's, there's debate about the disease model. And I don't, and I say that there's a lot of great evidence for both sides of that model. But the, what, what I don't think there's debate on is that this idea that you're, yeah, you said you're broken or that you have, you don't have what it takes. Other people have what it takes to moderate, but you don't, there's something wrong with you inherently. And I think I see a lot of people with quote addictions coming in with a lot, very low self-esteem, a lot of shame. And I, I hear what you're saying is empowering because it's looking at it in a different way that, Oh, okay, well we're on a spectrum of emotions. And right now you just haven't like you haven't figured out or learned ways to sit in and be with the emotions. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Kind of what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely where meditation comes into it for me because meditation is the practice of learning how to sit with whatever's coming up in the moment. So if you have a really solid meditation practice, then you have a really good tool for, you know, being able to sit in that discomfort and sit in that, you know, whatever grief or, or fear that's coming up. Um, yeah. So I would say to, I mean, as far as I, I can see the two must go together. Like I, I just don't know of any other tools that work as well to help us really sit with that discomfort than meditation. Um, maybe there is some out there, but I don't know. <laughs> That's the one I know. Um, there's a lot of evidence to support that as well. Yeah. It, so we've been kind of getting, I've been getting a sense of what this path looks like and the awareness piece. And um, I noticed that you're currently offering services as a coach and something that you had on your website that spoke to me and we've kind of touched on it is that you believe that your clients know exactly what they need. And one of your goals as a coach is to help sift through those layers that we discussed um, to discover the truth that lies beneath. And I'm just curious of hearing more about your style as a coach and what those services would look like. For example, are you guiding people on this path? Um, just giving some more. Mm-hmm. We, I yeah, so, um, so definitely I feel like when, when I'm working with somebody, like I want to, I want to encourage them to listen to their intuition, to like lean into, you know, whatever it is that they're being drawn to at that moment. So I'm not necessarily offering them, you know, uh, advice or, or, or even tools. I I want, I want to hear from them. You know, what, what, what have you been wanting to try? What, what's been drawing you, you know, and a lot of times, people will come to me because they're interested in learning meditation. And so we'll, we'll totally do that. But they might be like, well, you know, I've always been wanting to try journaling or I've always wanted to try, you know, uh, something else or they are, you know, they'll be like, I really want to work with my boundaries or, or something like that. And so, you know, I, I, I will, I'll be there as a resource for sure. If they have, you know, they're, they're like, I want to learn more about this practice or I want to do this thing. Um, but my main goal is trying to, 
really empower them to make the decision for themselves. So to say like, let's try this and then, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I want them, you know, I want it to look exactly how they want it to look. So if they say like, I want to meditate, but I only want to meditate like twice a week, you know, I'm not going to be like, Oh, you know, you really need to do this. It's, it's, that's where they're at. That's what they want to do. Then great. You know, and I'm there to support them. So I think coaching, um, essentially coaching is, is very much about the belief that the client really knows, you know, that really knows for themselves what, what they want and what, what is good for them. And they have that ability and, and they might not have the knowledge necessarily of how to do it or, you know, just, uh, the practical, you know, side of things. And that's maybe where I can help them. But again, I prefer to empower them to actually research it on their own, you know, be like, okay, do you want to, you know, do you want to find out more about this? How can you, let's set some goals about finding out about it. Right. So are you going to read a book or are you going to research it? And, um, we can create goals around that instead of just me just handing them stuff. The other thing is that, um, so yeah, coaching has a lot to do with goal setting too. So, you know, generally during a session, we'll at least hit on one or two goals that the person wants to work on. Um, and it could be for the week or it could be, you know, for, for a couple of weeks and, um, we'll really, really drill down to specifics. So it's not going to be like, I just want to learn how to meditate. So the next week I'm gonna learn how to meditate. We'll say like, okay, what specifically are you going to do? Um, you know, how, how can we make this as concrete as possible? What time are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? What day, you know, um, I always ask my clients, do you foresee any obstacles keeping you from doing that? Like, can we brainstorm and think about some things that might come up during the week that we keep you from, you know, following through with the school? Is there a way that you can set yourself up for success? Is there anything that you can do? You know, so they might be like, oh, yeah, I probably should tell my family that I'm doing this or, or some, you know, something might occur to them. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're really building, you know, these practices and we're really building building it in, but in a very good, concrete way. And then my job, I think, is to just hold them accountable, be there, you know, as support and also be there to cheer them on, you know, so that's, that's a big part of coaching too, is like, you know, cheering people on, congratulating them on their success, even if they don't, you know, sometimes people come to me and they're like, oh, I I totally failed. But it turns out that they actually did five out of six days. And it's like, that's not a failure, right? I mean, but people can be hard on themselves and people can really be perfectionist in their, you know, their tendencies. So um, just, yeah, all of that, working through all of that. (laughs) Sorry, I was on mute for a second. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm hearing that a lot of the work and style um, is being really mindful and curious and specific with goals. Mm -hmm. So somebody would probably have a goal in mind that they want to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, And if someone is wanting to work on being sober curious or recovery or just learn more about their relationship with whatever substance, or like you said, TV, maybe, Mm -hmm. I mean, I get a lot of food and shopping people that um, get a sense that it's causing problems in their life or that it's more than what they would want. And so mm-hmm. what, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a, a big, yeah, like a big, I think a really important part of, of what I do also is, is drilling down into the why, the motivation, you know, behind it. Um, 
because a lot of times, you know, we start with that surface level of, I just want the worry about the outcome, you know, and, um, and, and not really think about the why behind it. So like for, you know, this is kind of a silly example, but maybe somebody wants to lose some weight, you know, and, and they're just like, I don't know. I just feel like I should, which like is a big red flag. If somebody says the word should, you know, because to me, that's, that's a sign that that's some conditioning at play. So that's one of those stories, you know, that's maybe one of those things that they're holding, like a belief that they're holding. Um, so we'll kind of unpack that, you know, why, what, what is it? And, and it might end up being, you know, that they, like, they have grandkids that they like want to have energy to play with their grandkids. Right. So, I mean, it could be like something completely not related. Right. So if that's the, if that's the motivation, if that's the real why behind it, then, you know, we can create all sorts of things around that. So if I just want to have more energy so that I can play with my grandkids, you know, there's lots of ways that we can approach that. And it's not just like, oh, I have to diet, you know, and lose weight. Um, so yeah, I would say, uh, you know, figuring out the why is so critical. Um, so yeah, if somebody came to me and they were like, I really want to explore my relationship with this substance, you know, we would definitely start there. Like, why, you know, why, why do you feel like, why do you feel like you need to explore that? You know, why do you, is it, is it, um, are you, you know, what, are you concerned about something? Is it, is it interrupting something? Um, yeah, cause there's definitely, there's definitely a reason, you know, that somebody's thinking that. Yeah. I could see that being several sessions possibly of unpacking, <laughs> right? Just going yeah. with Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that you also, we're going to link this, but you also have an article that explains, maybe talks about coaching versus therapy, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And so we'll go ahead and link to that. So I think you really talk a lot about what that looks like and your, I think your style as well. Mm-hmm that true okay so yeah yeah I wrote a big long article about it um I I think the main reason I mean the main difference well some I mean a couple of the main differences like one is that um I'm not like I'm definitely not diagnosing anything and I'm definitely not offering treatment for anything so I work a lot I I would say probably 99% of the people that I work with do have a diagnosis like of some sort of mental illness so they might have anxiety or OCD or PTSD. And they, a lot of times they're working with a therapist and that, but they still want to have a coach for, you know, a different reason, maybe to just, again, for that accountability piece or just like more motivation. A lot of people that I've worked with also have had therapists and just didn't feel like it was helping or they felt like it wasn't a good fit. And so they want to try this instead. And that's, and that's fine too. Um, but yeah, my main thing, I always make that real clear to people before I start that like, I'm not, you know, I don't have the capability to diagnose or treat any, um, any mental illness. And, um, I, I think that also too, you know, the, the model is very much in the present. So I'm not going to spend time talking about their childhood or talking about their past. You know, we're really not going to go there. Um, we're really going to talk about what's working in their life right now. And then how can we just create more of that, you know? So we build on their strengths and we build on like what they're good at already and what's already going well. 
So <clears throat> I think that's a little bit different too from the therapy model because the therapy model is often like what's going wrong, you know, what's, what's not working in your life, you know, and, and, um, and, and they're both of course useful. I mean, I'm not ever going to say coaching is like better, you know, than therapy. It's just that depending on where you're at in your life, you might be, um, you know, you might, you, you might be just feeling kind of stuck, you know, and just having, you're like, I, I want to make these changes. I know the changes that I want to make, but for some reason I'm just having a really hard time making them. And so I think coaching is great for that. Yes. And I also agree that it is important to know what each different service looks like, especially as a clinician, because if we are finding that it's not helpful or if somebody, if a client might need something supplemental, I think it's our job to um, help just help them discover what would be the best fit. And so it's really helpful to understand what, so it's very solution focused, it's strength based mm -hmm. and goal. And you, there is that accountability piece that might not be there in that same way as like doing trauma work or exploring, you know, the, mm -hmm. the psyche from the past, you know, I, I definitely think that's helpful. And in speaking of that, there's also, um, I think as far as the meditation school that you have, uh, I think could be a great supplemental probably for coaching or therapy or other services that our people are, are receiving for um, their development. And uh, there, you have a lot of free resources in your meditation school in which I have accessed and they're awesome. Um, mm -hmm. You have the ebook, you have some free meditations, and I just would like you to share just a little bit about the meditation school and the meditation prescriptions and other things that could be useful uh, for people on this journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, um, I created these uh, short courses a while back, and, and um, this was actually uh, for the bridge. So it was, you know, to use in conjunction with, uh, folks that were in therapy, but, um, it, I had this, I had this idea, um, a few years ago, and I think it was because of my psychology background, you know, was, I, I was like, I'm, I'm learning all these different modalities of meditation. There's so much out there. There's so many different kinds, you know, and, I was reading a lot of research that was saying, you know, this particular type of meditation is good for this thing, right? So like, if you have anxiety, there are styles of meditation that are going to be more beneficial than other types of meditation. If you have, um, you know, if you want, let's say, uh, to increase your creativity, um, and you really want to use meditation to be more creative, there's a totally different style that you would use than let's say if you had anxiety and you were trying to decrease your anxiety. So I decided to create these small kind of packages and courses um, that would target specific things. So I have a meditation prescription for anxiety, for example, and they're all four week courses and they have um, weekly practices. So each week you get a recorded practice and then you get some, supplemental things, either like a, an essay to read or journaling prompts or, you know, different little things that you can work on. Um, and uh, the, the practices build on each other. So I start week one, you know, with the assumption that the person probably maybe has never meditated before, or they might have tried, but maybe they tried kind of something that was that that was hard or didn't work. And then, um, the, and then the practice each week kind of builds off of last week's practice. So 
um, by the end of it, you're able to do, you know, if you can consistently keep up with these practices every day and, and really work on them, by the end of the course, you should be able to do, you know, a longer meditation practice that's going to be really beneficial. Um, yeah, so I have one for for uh, anxiety, for grief, for self-love, and for sleep right now. Those are the ones that I have. Um, and then I have, yeah, I've got a bunch of free resources. So they're like just short meditations. I think there's maybe four or five. And um, some of those are actually pulled from the courses. So a couple of those meditations came from the course. It's kind of like a you get to try it before you buy it. I guess, you know, you could just download it and listen to it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that, those are the, those are the resources I have right now on my school. And I am really excited to create, you know, be creating some new ones right now. So I'm working on some stuff that's a little bit more, um, it'll, it, it will be more, I think, targeted towards recovery, right? So that's, that's where my work is going now. So I definitely want to start creating, um, some things that are a little bit more in line with what we're talking about today. Yeah, I think those are incredibly, like the meditation prescription courses are um, efficient because they're like what you had just said. I know that a lot of my clients who are wanting to learn meditation, it's just overwhelming. And mm -hmm. also it doesn't really, they don't see how it connects with like issues that they're having or like how to use meditation for a specific purpose. And I think the prescriptions do a really great job of like, oh yes, Yes, you can. So having trouble sleeping. And so I think it's a really helpful um, supplement. And you can have those. You can always do the meditations. Once, it's once somebody has purchased it, can they have access to the meditations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they, they'll always have they'll always have it. You can download it, like actually save it to your computer or you, you know, you'll have access to it as long as the course is available. I don't, I mean, I can't promise obviously that that's going to be forever, but you know, for now, yeah. <laughs> you can definitely, I think that that is, they're, they're really cool. And I've been able to, to attend one of the live programs. Mm -hmm. And um, my guess is that the doing the prescription, uh, like, like at least speaking for as a clinician's perspective or a mental health professional perspective, I would definitely want to direct my clients to those. Mm -hmm. because they can have them, they're at home. Because what happens in a session, a therapy session, and maybe you've noticed this with other work you've done, is like they're very short and we just talk, Some most of the time we're talking about something. And then sometimes the actual practice or the embodiment of what we're talking about can get shuffled aside or with busy days. And so it's really helpful to have a tool that people can use outside of those sessions. Mm -hmm. And um, sneak peek Anyone that is taking our three core integrative certification course, um, that article, um, Amanda wrote an excellent article, which by the way, could have been a dissertation. <laughs> it was just so good, it's so good, but it basically talks about different meditation styles and their clinical applications. So that's a bonus that um, if you're taking that course that you'll be able to have access to that and other, other things. So I just wanted to quickly plug that because it's really good. Yeah. And, um, and, and speaking of that, so I, I feel like we've just gotten a good sense of you and what you do and where your work's going. And it's really exciting to me. I, mean, I, I can't wait to, to, to hear more and see more of, of where this empowered recovery. It's also exciting because it's close to my heart as a person who has a lot of addiction in their families, which has caused death and jail. And um, I've, I just witnessed how 
devastating it can be in the people's lives and also families' lives. And having this empowered approach feels like such a paradigm shift from what I've grown up with um, Mm -hmm. having family with addiction. And it also reminds me a little of Gabor Mate, some of his work of um, the hungry ghost concept, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate. And I just, I'm so excited about these paradigm shifts and I think it's just called for. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited about that. Uh, and so, yeah, like in, in kind of going toward the closing piece, I'm just really curious about uh, what is most alive for you right now? I know that these are chaotic times, uncertain times. Um, and how are your practices of meditation recovery guiding you right now? Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, one of the, one of the things that I'm finding really interesting through this pandemic craziness is how um this this type of like virtual connection like zoom and and online work actually lends itself really well to teaching meditation so that's that's something that I didn't expect I actually always kind of was a little nervous about doing like virtual uh sessions or you know talking to people over the computer and I've had to shift you know my teaching online uh, I'm teaching a few classes here and there, like online and, and guided meditations. But I'm noticing, you know, people are showing up. They're in their pajamas. They're like comfy, and uh, and they and they can show up for a morning meditation, and it's it's super easy. Whereas, you know, in the past, I would always kind of struggle with that of being like, I want to teach a morning class, but people aren't going to drive across town to come practice meditation in the morning. But this is actually a way that I can do it, and it's easy and it's fun and uh, convenient, you know. And so I would say that's something that's definitely like coming alive for me is this ability to connect with people, and I can t- connect with people all over the place. So I have I just got a new client, um, and she's in California, you know, and it's it's so cool, it's so so easy, you know, and and uh, well, I'm not lim- I'm not geographically limited limited like I was before, so. I'm thankful for that. And I think that this will continue. I really do think that, you know, if things ever go back to quote unquote normal, you know, like this will, will continue to have all of this access, you know, for sure. Um, as far as like my own recovery practices and, and where that is right now, like I'll say for sure, it's, it's an ongoing process. I mean, yeah, I've been sober for a couple of years now, but there's always new stuff coming up. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it, you think that, you know, when you quit, that's the end of something, but it's like just starting, you're just beginning. And that's when you start to actually interact with life in a whole new way. And you start to go through all of these different situations and uh, unpack all of these relationships. And, you know, I think um, working on boundaries has been something that's been huge for me. And, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of work on that, you know, all the time. Um, Probably I would say like the biggest challenge for me right now is just relationships, you know, significant relationships that I've had that were found, you know, had foundations in addiction. And now it's like trying to revisit those and and understand them from this different perspective is pretty, pretty big. Um, So yeah, that's, I'd say that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, would like to concur that at first the virtual um, <laughs> world was intimidating, but as you mentioned, and, and I really didn't think of it, but that you're absolutely right. And that 
some things don't translate as well, but meditation and teaching, I mean, yes, I would, I would like to have a morning class in my cozy bed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I, that, that makes total sense. And it's, you can be, find yourself in a safe environment to you. Whereas Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm intimidated going in meditating with other people. I'm worried that I'm going to squirm or that, what if I have a panic attack, you know, something like that. And so I can see it being really accessible. So that's, that's super exciting mm-hmm. that it's, it is now accessible, not only um, ge- across geographic locations, but also for people that maybe before didn't feel accessible to them. Yeah. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, can we actually, because you're so awesome and you're such an amazing teacher and guide, I would love for uh, us to have a guided practice now that, um, uh, that's yeah, close to your heart, I guess we could say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the practice that I wanted to do today is, um, I was just writing about it yesterday. So I just published an essay on my site about this practice. Cause it's, um, everybody knows about the idea of affirmations, like positive affirmations, you know, and this is a practice to create your own positive affirmation. So it's going to come from within. It'll come from your intuition. Um, and uh, so that in that way, again, it's very empowering. It has its own personal meaning to you as opposed to going and like looking at a list of affirmations and picking one. Right. Um, so this practice came from a really funny book and if uh, we'll link the essay about it, cause I won't go into it too much, but it's just a funny book that I found at this old shop. Um, it's like from the eighties, it's like a meditation book from the eighties. It's just kind of hilarious, but, um, it inspired, it inspired this practice. So this is, um, it's a, and it's a practice for self-esteem. I say that because this will help you kind of, uh, tune into, uh, an aspect of yourself that maybe has, has, hasn't been celebrated as much as it could. Right. So, the first thing I would do is just invite people to think of a quality that you admire in somebody else. Like think of somebody that you really, really look up to and what, what quality do they, what, what's a quality that they have? And maybe you can offer Jennifer, maybe you can like offer, you know, an idea here. Okay. Ooh, there's so many, but mm-hmm. actually as I was thinking there, there's a person that came to mind. Do you want me to share the person? Sure, if you want to. It's actually one of my guides that I had um, on a vision quest. Mm -hmm. I just admire them. I think when they speak, they're so eloquent, they're free, they're authentic. And um, yeah, everything they do to me is marvelous. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so can you choose like one quality that you really admire in this person? Their poetic and artistic quality. Okay. Okay, good. So um, we're going to, and then whoever is doing this practice at home, you know, just come up with a single quality that you can focus on for the practice. Um, okay. So then we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and close your eyes. If you feel safe to close your eyes, if you're driving or, <laughs> you know, don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, just come in, if, uh, if, you know, if you're walking or something, just come in into your body and just start to feel into your body in this moment. So noticing, you know, where's your breath right now? Is your breath feeling shallow? Do you want to drop it down into your belly? 
Noticing if there's any parts of your body that feel a little tense, maybe just releasing that tension. So really just using this, this time right now to tune in and ask yourself, what's here? What's here right now? You know, what emotions are here right now? What, what feelings are here right now? What physical sensations? And just allowing space for all of it. We don't have to change anything. And we definitely don't want to judge. So now reflecting back on that quality that you chose at the beginning of the practice, I invite you to think of a time recently, as recent as possible, that you that you did something that embodied this quality. So the example that was given was a poetic or artistic quality. So when was the last time that you did something poetic or artistic? And it can be, I want, I want to stress that this can be as small and seemingly insignificant as possible. It does not have to be something big. Um, and if you're struggling with remembering something recently, maybe going back to another time, maybe even back to time when you were much younger. But I want you to just remember a very specific instance. So we're going to bring this to mind, and I want you to visualize it as though you're watching yourself. So picture yourself doing this thing. Remember how it felt. I want you to remember everything surrounding. So what was the environment? Were you with someone? Were you alone? What were you doing? How did your body feel in that moment? Just try to give it as much detail as possible. So the next step is we're going to take this time to connect with some source of energy, of positive energy. And it could be a higher power. It could be a higher self. It could be a guide, a spirit guide, or it could just be the energy of, of love. And I want you to imagine watching yourself doing this thing and just infusing that image 
with love. And that love could be coming from you. It could be coming from a higher source. But just imagine infusing it, just pouring love into this person, into this you that was creating. I want you to imagine yourself glowing brightly. So just staying with this practice, imagining cheering yourself, just, yeah, good job. So good. So just imagine saying whatever, you know, affirmative words or love or just showering this person with praise. Or you can imagine again, if you have a higher self or higher power or guides or angels just cheering, cheering you on. And they're so proud of you. And they're so in love with this thing that you're creating. So connecting back to your heart in this present moment, right here, right now, I want you to just allow a statement to arise from this. This statement will take the form of an I statement, I, and then whatever words arise from this image, maybe it's, you know, I create And then just allowing these words to kind of bubble up from this practice. This is an affirmative statement. It's an I statement and it's set in the present. Not I will do something, but I am this. So I invite you now to just over the next moment or two to just really repeat that phrase, allow it to come into being, allow it to become really real and just repeat it over and over again.
And then finally, we'll just finish out the practice by giving thanks and gratitude to your own inner wisdom. You know, thanking yourself in this moment for showing you the truth of who you are. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and just come back, take a little stretch or whatever you need to do. <laughs> so like I was saying, this is a, a positive affirmation that you created for yourself and um, it's yours. So it's, you know, you can write it down, you can put it up on a sticky note, you can carry it around with you, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do with it. And um, also, you know, I, I do want to speak to the fact that sometimes these statements can bring up a lot of resistance, you know, so maybe if my statement was like, you know, I'm a creative person, you might have a lot of mind chatter, you know, but I'm not, but I don't, but I'm not as good as that person, but like, blah, blah, blah. Um, the mind chatter is fine. It's not problematic. It's important to notice it, you know, and the louder it is, the probably the better the statement, is, you know, the more true, um, the more grounded in, you know, our heart, because this statement came from your heart. It came from, you know, your inner knowing. It doesn't come from the brain. Right. So we're connecting with something deeper here and the brain gets freaked out by that. So it's OK. <laughs> Jennifer, how was that for you? Pretty awesome. Actually, mm -hmm. I was surprised at my body's willingness to accept my body and mind's willingness to accept the um, statement, uh, specifically when we brought love into it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be hard for me um, to accept that. I like to give it, but it's harder to accept it, kind of. And so I was kind of surprised on how it was like willing in that moment to do that because of the way that we walked through it. Um, that was really neat. I've never, I, I, there's so much on positive affirmations that can feel false. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I am perfect in every way or, or whatever it is. Maybe not that one, but like, I love every single part of my entire body. It's like, oh, but if mm -hmm. I say something like, um, I move gracefully, you know, that feels, so I re I loved it. And I could definitely mm -hmm. see myself using this and maybe even, uh, with some clients that are working on affirmations. Yeah. Can I just ask you a quick question and speaking of that, when is a good time to use an affirmation or how do you work with affirmations? Mm. Um, so I, I kind of see this as a, it's like a mantra, right? So you can use it in your meditation practice. So once you've created this affirmation, I would definitely encourage you to continue to use it as a meditation. So you know, you don't have to go through the whole process every time, but you can. I mean, it's actually kind of cool to go through it with different scenarios. So, you know, maybe you you found a cool scenario and you want to infuse that with love, but you can do that with, you know, you can come up with other ones. So you could repeat the meditation with new different scenarios. Um, also, when you're doing it in real life. So like, let's say, you know, like we had talked about your 
um, idea was like creativity. So when you're creating something, you know, today, tomorrow, next week, whatever, notice it, you know, it's like, you, now you have a little moment where like, oh, I am a creative person or, you know, whatever the statement is that you came up with, the mantra, you, you want to do that. And then again, infuse it with love. Like I am totally cheering myself on here. That's the important, it's a really important piece because we, um, you know, for whatever reason, we just like hesitate to do that. We, we're like, oh, it feels narcissistic or it feels like I'm being full of myself to like cheer myself on and really give myself, you know, that, that, um, that praise. But that's, I mean, that's self-love. That's, that's so important. So recognizing when we're doing it. So yeah, I would say that's, that would probably be when I would encourage you to use the affirmation is when you see, you know, when you see it in action and then you're like, Oh, here I am here. I'm, I'm doing it, you know? And it, because again, you know, we're, we're probably doing it all the time and we just, we're only paying attention to the times that we're not doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually some good solid psychology there as well, because, uh, you know, the negative cognitive bias that sometimes comes along with some of the programming with anxiety, depression, trauma, things like that, where, you know, you could have 10 things that happen that shows, oh, I'm creative. But then the one thing that happened that doesn't, we focus, we zone in on. So yeah. I love that you're offering this invitation to notice, which will also train our brains to um, include that evidence as part of our story. Mm-hmm. That's just awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. Very tangible way that the person has, um, that I had like just now have created for myself mm-hmm. with the cheer, with the cheer factor. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it, that really, it really gives me a taste of how you do your guided visualizations and meditations and they just, they're accessible and they make sense. Um, and then also encourage that, uh, um, almost continuous awareness and curiosity that we discussed at the beginning of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. This was great. Yeah. We're, and before we close, I always like to ask this question and I do this in session as well. Like, and maybe we can just pause for a minute and maybe even the people listening can do the same thing, but I'm specifically asking you like, if we just pause and think about the conversation and what we discussed and if there's anything like a nugget or a word or one other, anything else that's alive to, to share before we, we close with this for you and maybe even encouraging the listeners to do the same. Yeah. I think the thing that if I, if I want any people to get anything out of the work that I do is, Um, you are your own best teacher. You know, we, we, right now we seek information and answers outside of ourselves so much, you know, we're Googling like how I'm supposed to feel about something, you know, and, and uh, the more time that you can spend just going inward and connecting, you know, with your truth, with your, uh, you know, unique signature. um, Yeah. it's, it's really empowering. Yes. Beautiful. I think that's a perfect way to a perfect nugget to to end the conversation. And thank you so much for joining us. And I just want to ensure that we will link uh, any books or um, anything else that we discussed specifically your, the the meditation school and the websites 
Mm -hmm. and um and then your contact information mm -hmm. sound good yeah sounds great all right thank you so much thanks jennifer <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for our conversation today we hope you found it beneficial for both your personal and professional development for more information about the Academy of Integrative Mental Health, check out our website at www.academyimh.com. If you have any feedback about the podcast, thoughts, questions, or you just want to say hey, please email us at info at If you really like this podcast, please subscribe and like it on various platforms. Thanks and have a great day. I hope you have a little time to take care of yourself.